In March of 1939, Jack Warner, president of Warner Studios, sent a letter to Charlie Chaplin stating some things regarding the president of the United States at the time, FDR, saying, please make this film, The Great Dictator, that we are hearing about. Please, please, please make this film. There are not a lot of directors, writers, movie people in general with the kind of power that Charlie Chaplin had, especially during this time. 1940 is when The Great Dictator came out, an astonishing film. Basically, the first satire film to ever come out. Um, some of the most balls we've ever seen on a, in a film ever uh, has inspired so many people to create, write things that are poking fun at ridiculous teachings, ridiculous ideas, um, absurd men in history. And uh, Connor and I feel that this movie is very important and we are both big fans of it. Hey, he has been a bigger fan of it than I have for a longer time. But uh, as I've been introduced to this movie that was nominated for five Oscars, didn't win any, but nominated for five at the 13th Academy Awards in 1941. We were talking with the great dictator on our fifth episode here of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Zagari. my man the great dictator this is exciting because we're going back to the 40s right uh, we just were in the 2000s last week with uh, in the bedroom from 2001 uh, great movie i hope some people were inspired to go check it out uh, and i hope some people checked out the great dictator leading up to this week because this is a monstrous film um, i want to ask you because this is my first time watching it i enjoyed it a lot i thought it was a very powerful film the final scene is absolutely captivating and an absolute tearjerker and being a fan of something like jojo rabbit which came out just last year i have tremendous respect for satire but i want to hear from you as far as the great dictator goes what is your fandom of this film well uh i think the best way to answer that is to tell you a story so when i was in college uh my second to last semester i was in the uh, education program shadowing an English teacher at uh, New Braunfels High School in Texas. And I was told to do two lessons. Uh, the first lesson I did on uh, of Mice and Men, I did a worksheet. The second one, I made it more my own and I taught a lesson on the power of satire. And to do this, I chose three films to show. Okay. One was Monty Python and the Holy Grail. One was Shrek, and the other was The Great Dictator. And showing a room full of teenagers a clip of Charlie Chaplin as Adenoid Hinkle spouting German-sounding gibberish at microphones that are bending backwards from the power of his oratory prowess was something special because it resonated with them. They understood exactly what I was trying to say. They understood exactly what he was trying to say. And it showed me that this film still has the bite that it had in 1940, that it still has power. And I love that. I love that this film has the balls to call, basically call Hitler a moron in the middle of World War II. <laughs> 
Yeah, at the peak of his powers, yeah. At the peak, when Adolf Hitler and the Nazi regime were taking over Europe, uh, Charlie Chaplin released this movie poking fun at not just Hitler, but at Mussolini, at the entire anti-Jew final solution bullshit, at every aspect of Hitler's regime. And Hitler knew. He saw this movie. He, like, there is evidence and a witness that Adolf Hitler watched The Great Dictator. His reaction is not recorded in history, regrettably. But uh, I've been a Charlie Chaplin fan pretty much my whole life, uh, beginning with his silent films, uh, his uh, short films, uh, Kid Auto Races at Venice, The Immigrant, The Rink, uh, The Cure, Behind the Screen, some of the funniest uh, bits of film ever made. And from there, he, he launched his, his character, The Little Tramp, who appeared in films like The Gold Rush and Modern Times and The Circus and, you know, The Kid. And The Great Dictator was his first real talkie. He was known yeah. for silent films. And a lot of people didn't think he could pull it off. A lot of actors didn't translate from silent film to talkies very well. A lot of them were left in the dark. But Chaplin was an artist, and he found his way into, into modern cinema at the time and blew everyone away with this film. A film that everyone told him not to make, except for fucking President Roosevelt. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, um, and, you know, once it came out here in the States, a lot of people our age at the time were like, holy shit. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's take this fuck down, you know? Um, yeah. The, the, the power of propaganda, right? Um, the reason it's, Roosevelt it's, told him to make this film is because he knew it was going to have a like, profound impact on American and British lives, that people were going to see this and think, yeah, fuck Hitler. Let's, you know, let's mock him. Let's make fun of him. Let's take his, a little bit of his power away. Yeah, man. <laughs> Incredible. Really, really. Incredible stuff. And I, I mean, it, again, it was my first time. I just watched this a few days ago and I kind of got immersed in, I know you, you and I, um, again, we're going to be talking about the 13th Academy Awards yeah. that occurred in 19, uh, occurred in 1941. Um, and this, you know, this is a pretty powerhouse year uh, following one of the most powerhouse years ever in 1939. Yeah. Um, with a lot of crazy films and some controversial stuff that will eventually get to here on film. Uh, sorry, Oscar Sunday at some point. <laughs> <laughs> How about that? Uh, Filmgasm Productions. <laughs> Check out our Filmgasm podcast for your horror fix of the week. <laughs> uh, Connor and I watched um, the, the winner of Best Picture from this year, which was uh, Rebecca, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, which we both enjoyed quite a lot. Yeah. And The Philadelphia Story, which was also a powerhouse film. And of course, The Great Dictator, which is the one we chose Yes. Um, and, and the reason, you know, we choose these films, you know, it was nominated for, for five and didn't win any. We do this because we want to talk about all films, not just the winners, right? Not just the best picture winners. It's not always going to yeah. be that way. And if you've been listening with us, you know that we're in our fifth episode here and we're kind of all over the board. Uh, this is the oldest film we've talked about so far. Will not uh, be the oldest film for sure. Like we are going to oh, go no. as far back as the beginning with this. Yes. Yeah. The beginning is, you know, um, the first Oscars ever were in 1928, representing the films of 1927. And that's when Wings won Best Picture. And uh, we will definitely be talking about some movies from the 20s and 30s uh, in the future. But today, kicking off the 40s uh, for the first time on this podcast, it's going to be a lot of fun because we both watched, I watched three movies I've never seen before this week yeah. for this. 
and you watched two and one that you had seen. Yes, um, I intended to watch The Grapes of Wrath as well, but I ended up uh, realizing that the copy I had was broken and I was unable to get to it in time. So in the future, you know, we'll do Rebecca, we'll do The, Great, we'll do, uh, the Grapes of Wrath, we'll do Philadelphia Story. These are just, you know, supplemental material for the film we're going to talk about. But those yes. in the future will definitely be full episodes on their own. Yeah, yeah, you want to have some kind of context, right, when you're talking about each award show. Yeah. Uh, this one, the 13th awards, we wanted to have some context going in. What was The Great Dictator going against? Should it have lost to Rebecca? I'm not sure. That's going to be something we'll talk about as we go along. Um, and, and, you know, if you have listened, you know that we're going to go through the nominations that The Great, Dict- Great Dictator did get yes. and talk about what we think maybe should have won or maybe should have got nominated that didn't. So uh, you want to start there from the bottom there, Connor? Yeah, let's start. Uh, best original score. Okay. So whew, original score for some reason has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 contenders. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Why? Let's, hear them. Let's hear them all. All right. So we've got Waterloo Bridge by Herbert Stothart. The Thief of Baghdad by Miklos Rosa, Rebecca by Franz Waxman, Our Town by Aaron Copland, One Million BC by Werner R. Heyman, Northwest Mounted Police by Victor Young, My Favorite Wife by Roy Webb, The Mark of Zorro by Alfred Newman, The Long Voyage Home by Richard Hageman, The Letter by Max Steiner, The Howards of Virginia by Richard Hageman, The House of the Seven Gables by Frank Skinner, The Great Dictator by Meredith Wilson, The Fight for Life by Louis Grunberg, Dark Command by Victor Young, Arizona by Victor Young, and the winner, Pinocchio by Lee Harlan, Paul Smith, and Ned Washington. Hey, I've seen that. <laughs> Disney, always dominating, dominating with the music. Uh, I think, yeah, Pinocchio probably deserved this one. Why is there 17 movies up for this? Yeah, and this, this, is, this is something where it's like, oh my God if we were to really do all the research we had to, it'd be damn near impossible to find all 17 of these films. Oh my God. A lot of this stuff has vanished from like pop culture itself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's incredible. And weirdly they have best original score and best scoring. There was a separate category for uh, like. And look, and look how many different. Yeah. Yeah. You look at those now and you're like, Oh my God. And you're like, no, it's a completely different category. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. <laughs> it's nuts. Uh, the score for The Great Dictator is good. I don't think it particularly stands out. Uh, I would give it to Pinocchio. I mean, they're the only two films. Of, oh, I saw Rebecca, too. But, hmm. No, I'll give it to Pinocchio. Yeah, of, of the ones we've seen, of the three we've seen, I, I agree. I, <laughs> Pinocchio is, has some wonderful moments in it um, of that early, the early Disney stages. I, I love that. The, the, those, those drawings, the kind of OG style, it's awesome. Looking through these categories, it's really interesting to see what, like, what categories were abandoned by the Oscars, what was combined with other categories. Like I know. Best original story. <laughs> that's, that's not a thing anymore. Best live action short, short subject, one reel. Best live action short subject, two reel. <laughs> Oh, best sound recording. Uh, this is this is neat. It's a glimpse into the past, but of course, you know the big ones have never changed. 
Yeah, and they, and they never will. They'll always, I think the Oscars will forever be adapting as they should be. They should always be trying to change and uh, figure out what's best for everybody, right? Um, yeah, which they're, they're, still, they're still trying to figure out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's always going to be a uh, process. Yeah. So let's move on to best original screenplay. Yes. Uh, we have The Great Dictator by Charlie Chaplin, Foreign Correspondent by Charles Bennett and Joan Harrison, Dr. Ehrlich's Magic Bullet by Norman Bernstein, Heinz Harold, and John Huston, Angels Over Broadway by Ben Hecht, and the winner, The Great McGinty by Preston Sur- Sturgis. Now, I've only seen The Great Dictator, but I think it's a brilliant story, and this is the one I think Chaplin should have won. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I don't have much to say about this either, except the name Charles Bennett stands out because he worked with uh, Alfred Hitchcock a lot. Yes. So I would like to, I would like to see that. <laughs> I'd like to see Dr. Ehrlich's Magic Bullet. Uh, John Huston worked on that. And yes. uh, it stars Edward G. Robinson. It's a biopic on a German doctor. Yeah. See all the research we have, to, like all the homework we, we find with these uh, going back like this. This is really cool. Well, you, yeah, this is something I, I've, okay, so since, bear with me here, but since the awful things that have happened um, lately just around the world with COVID uh, and things shutting down, since that happened, I, I think you and I have both kind of sunken our hooks in more because we have, we've had more time yeah. into, movie, into movies and just kind of like, well, why, why not watch more if we can? And uh, by doing that, you always realize how much you don't know yes. and how much more there is to watch. So it's like, all right, well, Connor and I can have a conversation here because we both understand we've seen a lot, but there is, oh, 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 so much to see. <laughs> yes. And you, but when you have a conversation with, a, you know, someone who's not able to see as much stuff as we are, it's like, oh, man, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea just how much is out there, just decades and decades of content. It's amazing. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, let's move forward to Best Supporting Actor. Uh, we have James Stevenson for The Letter, Jack Oakey for The Great Dictator, William Gargan for They Knew What They Wanted, Albert Basserman for Foreign Correspondent, and the winner, Walter Brennan for The Westerner. I have not seen any of these films, and I don't think Jack Oakey's performance as Benzino Napoloni is worth an Oscar nomination. Neither do I. I it must have been, they must have been reaching, um, but surely there were other, other supporting roles from 1940 that were stronger than that yeah because he's he's not something that stands out in this movie no he's not at all i um if we're going to talk about supporting actor how about reginald gardiner for uh captain schultz yes there you go he would have been a great pick from i thought but you know these things happen <laughs> then we go to best actor this is a pretty loaded cat uh, loaded category <laughs> indeed we have Laurence Olivier for Rebecca, Raymond Massey for Abe Lincoln in Illinois, Henry Fonda for The Grapes of Wrath, Charlie Chaplin for The Great Dictator, and the winner, James Stewart for The Philadelphia Story. <laughs> yikes, yikes, yikes. We both need to see, as big of history fans as we are, um, Abe Lincoln in Illinois. We have got to see that. Yes, indeed. I, I've heard Henry Fonda's performance in The Grapes of Wrath is un like unbelievable. And uh, I know Jimmy Stewart never believed he deserved this, that he thinks Henry Fonda should have won, that he thinks that he got this because they didn't give it to him for Mr. Smith goes to Washington the year before. He said it was a uh, back pay. <laughs> but, Cause 1939 was so loaded. Yeah. 
Jimmy Stewart in the Philadelphia story is fantastic. I, I, <laughs> I don't know about this. I think I would probably give it to Chaplin just, you know, for how he managed to handle both playing Adnoid Hinkle and the Jewish barber, how he like made both those characters so different. Even when they're in each other's clothes, you still can tell who's who by the by yeah. his, like, facial expressions and just the way he handles himself. I give it to Chaplin. Ah, <sighs> well, I'm going to zag on here. I'm going to, I'm going to go Lawrence Olivier. I think what he does in Rebecca is, um, he Lawrence Olivier is one of the one of the few guys that has along with along with Jimmy Stewart and and Fonda. This is a really strong group. Are, are one one of the names that has stood the test of time for a reason because yeah. there's just there's just a certain filmography there from Lawrence Olivier, and I think this is one of his just stronger stronger performances. I, I Rebecca really surprised me. Um, I knew I was going to like it. I love Hitchcock. Uh, he's incredible. I definitely like. I think you agree with me. We both are in the boat of, you know, we think Psycho's kind of like his masterpiece. Like this is what he's best at. Yeah. Um, but my gosh, Rebecca is a strong movie and it gets very intense as it starts moving. Uh, yeah, that'd be my pick would be uh, Mr. Olivier. Olivier and Rebecca, he is very, very good. He is, he's lights out. You can't go wrong with this group, man. You really can't. There's so many choices here. I would have hated to have to vote on this in 1940. <laughs> Well, this is the, the, this is, you know, we've talked about how strong the um, best supporting actor and best actor categories have been over the history of the Oscars. Yeah. And how, how just competitive it is because of how many roles and opportunities there are for, you know, for, for men to have leading roles. Um, it just, yeah, it's always stacked. I think Olivier is good in Rebecca. I think his character is fucking contemptible at times. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I mean, Cha- Chaplin is playing basically, you know, goofy Hitler. So that's not really a good, <laughs> a good thing to bet up getting. No, 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 no. You cannot go wrong here. I think Charlie Chaplin's a great choice. I would have loved to see him win this. I think it would be, I think it'd be really cool for history's sake that even if the Great Dictator didn't win uh, most outstanding production. I just think it would have been cool if Chaplin could have walked that stage like, yep, I'm the best actor. Okay. So Chaplin was, he only won one Oscar in his career and it was for original score in 1973 for a film that came out in 1952, but was not released in LA until 1972. And I guess, yeah, under Academy rules, it was eligible and that was limelight. (laughs) Crazy. And he won two honorary awards, one in 1929 for the circus. Uh, and then, yeah, for, it says here, for versatility and genius in acting, writing, pr- directing, and producing the circus. Though nominated for Best Actor, the Academy decided to remove Chaplin's name from the competitive classes and instead award him a special award. <laughs> That's crazy. God, he was up for man. best. Yeah, he was up for best actor, and they're like, "No, he's he's too good. Fuck, get him out of there. We're giving him an Oscar anyway." <laughs> yeah, we well, they wanted to keep it competitive. Yeah, get him out of there. Let's just uh, keep it a race. Yeah, and then he won another honorary award in 1972 for the incalculable effect he has had in making motion pictures the art form of this century. And he is. He is a pioneer. He was responsible for almost the entire comedy genre of film. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Even if you don't um, love his style, which I'm not, I'm not as well versed as nearly as well versed. I actually, I watched some short films to do some, I like the rink a lot. I did some, did some homework and watched some of those. And uh, it's not like, it's not like my favorite comedy, but if you like comedy, then you need to respect it and understand same thing with like, you know, like blues music for what rock is now, you know, you, you gotta go back to its roots, go back to, where it came from and respect that yeah for sure and while Chaplin's you know home life and his personal life was very tumultuous he had a lot of relationships with a lot of women he was not he didn't treat women the best he was kind of a, a shit um and also he was known for being extremely controlling and dominating on his sets but the work is great I mean we've heard you know things about Roman Polanski and Stanley Kubrick and filmmakers who are just really not the best people in their personal lives, but the work is timeless. Yeah. And if for any of you who followed Filmgasm, you know that we try our hardest to separate men from, uh, like these filmmakers from their work. You have to do that. And uh, I think Chaplin's in the same boat. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm, yeah. I've definitely said a few times, like you're a piece of shit, but Chinatown's awesome. You know, <laughs> Yeah. you know, um, I, I don't, I would never want to hang out with the guy. Uh, but Chinatown's a really cool movie. I can't deny this. <laughs> I, I can't, I, it'd be, you know, if I knew every single thing about every single painter I've seen a painting of, yeah, a painting from, I, I, I just, I, I don't think I would love all the art. Well, I've said it before yeah. that once the film is made, it belongs to us. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does. It does. It, it's kind of like in the books or whatever. And I, it, it is hard. Cause I, I know there's people who, feel strongly about well you know you should cancel them out of culture it's like ah that's really hard that's really hard it's a very gray situation it's not black and white like people want it to be it's a it's a gray situation it, it deserves i think deserves dialogue and that's what we try to do here is give Roman flansky the hour so we can talk about his career and the stuff off the screen you know what i'm saying exactly yeah and it, it needs to be brought up because you know this is what we do on the podcast we're trying to give you information so you can be watching these movies with context but yeah. man you man you, there's just you're never gonna be able to join anything if you if you know every single thing about the artist <laughs> yeah and if you want to hear more about roman polanski and his uh <clears throat> exploits check out episode 10 of the filmgasm podcast yes very very good episode that's one of our one of our um, first strong strong episodes there yeah yeah for sure i think when we did our we voted on our top five favorites. That was nine. That was my number one favorite. We both had that. Yeah. We both had that in ours. So best actor is really up to personal preference. <laughs> There's a lot of great. Truly. Truly. And I think you and I, I've seen a bit of grapes of wrath because I adore that book, but I, I have not seen the whole thing and I do want to do that at some point. I, we may feel different after we see that. Who knows? Henry Fonda is an actor. I have not tapped into as much as I should have. No, but you know his name because he stood the test of time, just like Stuart and Olivier. Well, I've seen uh, On Golden Pond, which was fantastic. He was he, that was great his movie performances. He got the Oscar for that one. Hell yeah, great movie! And then Once Upon a Time in the West. My God, Frank, that motherfucker! <laughs> to see such a you know like Boy Scout like Henry Fonda play such a despicable piece of shit gunslinger is just beautiful genius <laughs> ah 
I got to see the Grapes of Wrath. And yeah, we will. We, we will. We'll, we'll, we'll probably do it on here someday. <laughs> Amazingly, Chaplin was not up for director for this. I, that blows me away. Yeah, I can't believe that. Uh, that uh, I, it's not up for director, but we'll talk about it. It was uh, Alfred Hitchcock for Rebecca, George Cooker for The Philadelphia Story, William Wyler for The Letter, Sam Wood for Kitty Foyle, and the winner, John Ford, for The Grapes of Wrath. Now, I think Chaplin should have been up for this. I think Hitchcock should have won this. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, 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 am, I think I'm 100% with you on that. Um, it's hard to say what we would take out because we haven't seen uh, the letter Kitty Fuller, Grace of Wrath. But yeah, I, I Hitchcock, oof. Um, we, we, we were texting back and forth about that one, just kind of like, just kind of kind of surprised us because we have seen a few Hitchcock films. Where we both understand his his capacity within the horror genre. We, we know how big he is. Uh, and for film guys, we're definitely going to do his films in the future on that podcast. Um, and we've done Psycho before. Um, have we done anything else by him? Is that it? We've only done Psycho, yeah. Yeah, that's all we've done, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll tackle all of his films eventually. You know, he's one of those directors. But God, Rebecca's a solid film, man. Um, yeah. Of what I've seen, it's, it's, it's up there for one of my favorite, favorites of his, yeah. The way he manages to film the, like he films Rebecca like Rebecca is there. Like he makes Rebecca a, like a physical presence without actually including her in the film. It's really amazing. He used deep focus like effects that Orson Welles would later perfect with Citizen Kane. And he's just, it's on a different level. Hitchcock showed with Rebecca that he was here to stay, that he was going to take over Hollywood. And yeah, I think it's a crime that he was not, he didn't win for that. Yeah, man. I, yeah. Hitchcock, someone I, I just watched not that long ago, Sabotage, which is just a fucking awesome, like Hitchcock through and through movie from 1938. And you just, yeah, this guy is just prolific as hell. Like every year you're just like, oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. You know, and shit never stops. I recently watched uh, Vertigo for the first time. Oh. And uh, <laughs> that's a hell of a thriller. I mean, yeah. you never know what's going to fucking happen in Vertigo. Yeah, oh, dude. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going to do 39 Steps next. That's, that'll probably be my next one. I've heard that's really good. It's, it's on Criterion right now. Yeah, I just, I, I feel like I should check that one out. I wanted to watch the uh, the big ones, the staples first. So I guess next on my list is probably North by Northwest. I I have that. I I love that movie. That's one of the first ones I saw. Oh, right on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That one's really good. Sweet. Uh, so that takes us to Best Picture, where we have ten films up for the award. Outstanding production. Outstanding production, as it was called. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have the Philadelphia Story. Our Town, The Long Voyage Home, The Letter, Kitty Foyle, The Great Dictator, The Grapes of Wrath, Foreign Correspondent, All This in Heaven 2, and the winner, Rebecca. So of those, I've seen Rebecca, Great Dictator, and Philadelphia Story. Same. We, you know, we go, we have a week to prep for these. (laughs) So there's no way in hell we are going to find all of those films in a week. Okay, yeah, that's a great point because next week, uh, we'll, we'll tell you what we're doing next week at the end of the podcast, but next week and the week after and the week after and the week after may be a year where we already have seen all of the films. Yeah. Um, well, well, like 1994, our very first podcast we did, it was a lot easier to do that one because we had already seen most of them, right? Um, yeah. Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Quiz Show. We'd seen those already. We didn't have as much homework to do. This, there's 
a bunch more nominations. They're from 1940. It's a lot harder to do. We're trying to challenge ourselves and challenge our listeners to try to watch this stuff as well. Yeah. And just, uh, and just keep your, keep your eyes open for stuff. Cause man, I was talking to a friend at work today and I was telling him, Hey, you know, I'm, we're talking, he knows about this podcast and you know, I was telling him we're talking about the, the great dictator. And he's like, you like those like forties movies. I was like, hell yeah. I like those forties movies. I like oh every God. decade. Every decade has gold. You just got to keep your eyes open. Yes, exactly. And another reason why I think we, you know, kind of tone it down with the, these 10 nominations is because not all of those films have stood the test of time. Not all oh, of those no. films have become oh, no. as significantly culturally relevant as The Great Dictator and Rebecca and The Grapes of Wrath. A lot of those films I've never heard yeah. of. And while they may be great films, they, they just don't have the impact that, you know, is felt today. So we kind of have to be a little selective. And through most of the career of the Oscars, it's been five nominees for Miss Picture. Yes. Was, you know, in the early days and now today when it's been like eight to 10 nominees. They, they, fl- they fluctuate and change. Yeah, I, I, we've said before, we both prefer five. Yeah. I uh, think it's nice and clean that way. Like l- last week we, we talked about uh, the films from 2001 and it has five. It's you know, a strong group and it provides good conversation because it's easy to see all of those. Easy to see, easy to find. Yes. <laughs> so what do you think should have taken best picture? Do you think Rebecca is the film that deserves it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, of these that's for, yeah. Yeah. To me, it's, it's the, it's the strongest, uh, great dictator. Uh, it's the most important, I think, um, has maybe, maybe at the time I would have said Rebecca should win, but maybe years later, as you see the cultural, um, impact that the great dictator has, maybe you say that should win. Um, and I definitely, definitely understand that the great dictator is a phenomenal piece of satire that, created created that word that very word satire uh you know started that trend that's still going 80 years later 80 years <laughs> um and we what's also sad is we still need these kind of messages for people to wake up and hear things and uh we, we need a charlie chaplin we need a taika waititi to like say hey wake up you know uh, we need those kind of creators to kind of nudge us so yeah, very grateful. Very grateful that we we did this one. This is uh, just to give people some some background info. We're, we're trying to try and tackle different decades each week. And when we first started the show, I was like, Connor, what are some ones we just got to do that you feel strongly about? The Great Dictator was the first one you said. Um, yes, it was. It, it was one that you knew I hadn't seen. You knew I wasn't well versed in Charlie Chaplin, and it just it felt necessary. And I'm really glad. I'm really glad we we did this one. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, this is a, a firm favorite of mine for a long time, and I'm glad we get to talk about it today. I How think old were you? How old were you when you first saw it? When I first saw it, um, I was still living in Maryland, so I had to have been at least 12, 13. Okay, okay. I've been a Chaplin fan for as long as I can remember, so it's, it's been a, his work's been a very important uh, part of my uh, development. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you're you're uh, you're a student of comedy much more than myself. Uh, you, you you know you know a lot more about the history of it, and it kind of starts um, with Charlie Chaplin. Yeah, with Chaplin, with Harold Lloyd, with Buster Keaton, with, yeah, you know, Laurel and Hardy. But Chaplin was on a different level. That man didn't want to just make funny movies. That man wanted to make significant movies. That man wanted to he wanted people to be talking about him eighty years later. Yep, and that's what he got. Yep, that's what he got. And he, um, he passed in 77 from a stroke at the age of 88. But uh, 
yeah, he hung in there till you know he born eighteen eighty nine. So yeah, man, and wrote that wrote that famous biography in um, nineteen sixty four, I think. Yeah, it was, and it said it said a lot of stuff. You know, um, even borderline admitted some things. You know that were whoa. You know uh, about this film, he admitted that he probably wouldn't have made it if he would have known the true significance of how violent and horrible the concentration camps were at the time. Yeah. That that's how scary. That's how fucking scary it was at the time that people didn't know that they were doing this to human beings. No. And and so Charlie Chaplin was like, you know, it's just hard to fucking digest that. But the the art had to be out there, man, for people to for people to see what was going on. Well, the Nazis were not, you know, for a lot of a lot of people, they weren't a threat. Like they weren't a, a credible threat. Like America kind of saw them as like that's England's problem. You know, let them deal with it for a while. Yeah the Holocaust was really only discovered like the horrors of it after we won and we're liberating the camps. And we saw the most horrific shit we've ever seen. Like recently we did an episode on uh, Judy Garland for the film guys and podcast. And I watched judgment at Nuremberg and yes. I saw in that film, they use real footage of the liberation of the concentration camps, footage of bones in, in ovens of bodies just buried in mass graves. And it is the most haunting shit i've ever seen and yeah i can totally see you know chaplin finding out about that and thinking oh i shouldn't have made that movie kind of making fun of the guy who did this like there's a you know the angle he could have taken would have been different i think he still would have made the movie it just would have taken a different different uh stuff like angle towards hinkle and the way he treats the jews yeah yeah but yeah the holocaust was not I mean, it was, there were rumors, but nobody knew that this was the extent of what they were doing. <sighs> Jesus. Craziness, man. Craziness. Yeah. And this came out in 1940. We weren't even in the war yet. Like, oh, no. Pearl Harbor no. hadn't happened yet. Like, this was... <laughs> I mean, I just keep... I can't believe that he, that he pulled this off. I mean, every studio said, do not do this. This is career suicide. You are going to be... And public enemy number one of Adolf Hitler. Like, this is a bad idea. But, you know, the president's like, you need to do this. This is important. And, yeah, I think this was before he was thrown out of the United States for being a communist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. What a, yeah, just an incredible career. And so deserving of a if you have listened to film guys before so deserving of a weird shit wednesday <laughs> oh i wanted to so bad I, <laughs> we yeah. still might in the future if uh if we go back to that uh that kind of uh formula we might yeah it's always I, I on think, the table. yeah i think i think there could be time someday for a special episode right um on charlie chaplin and i did want to bring up a, a movie that um of course you and i this is just movies movies are our our fucking pulse and uh when we when we had first met at the alamo draft house theater here in san antonio and we started realizing like okay you know he yeah you know like he really watches a lot of shit and you gave me um you gave me chaplin with robert downey jr that was one of the first movies you let me borrow and i was just like all right okay i dig this i'd never seen it you know of course rdj is a very important figure of the modern you know film industry and i'm i'm a massive zodiac fan so i love watching anything that 
Downey Jr.'s in. So I, I love that. I got, a, I got a serious feel for your fandom of him. So we, we will find a way to steer towards a special episode of Chaplin. He's just one of those guys. We did, um, we did a Vincent Price one on Filmgasm, uh, Big Weird Shit Wednesday. I, I, just a titan, a titan of, um, of cinema. And, uh, uh, of course, Charlie Chaplin is as well. Yes, indeed. And who knows, maybe the Weird Shit Wednesday will be on this show like we did with Spike Lee and the Five Bloods. So, y- yes, yeah. We ne- you, know, you never know what we're going to be up to. We're constantly changing the formula, constantly evolving both of these shows. It's really whatever yeah. we feel like doing at the time. It's nice having that kind of freedom. Yeah, and who's to say we can't just throw a random uh, hidden episode there out there every once in a while? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, so, best picture... You, you said, Rebecca, I think I'm going to go Great Dictator. I, I figured, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought, it, obviously, I thought it did. Our, anyone who's listening heard me last week when I was wrapping up our show, I, like an idiot, I said that uh, Great Dictator, best picture winner from 1940, da, da, da. And you were like, no, no, no. I was like, oh, wow, yeah, Great Dictator was up for five but didn't win any. And that's just, that's just amazing to me. Um, yeah, the, the cultural impact that this movie has – is very significant. I highly, highly suggest anyone who's listening who hasn't seen the film yet, get your asses on the couch, watch that film, and come back and listen. It is on the Criterion channel if you have that. Yes, and I believe you can rent it on Prime right now. I believe. I believe. For two ninety nine. I'm I'm pretty sure. Yes. You can I mean, get most, Rebecca. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You would think I, I heard, I heard on a podcast recently, Don Cheadle was the guest and he said, everything's on prime. And I wanted to be like, not Rebecca, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) The best picture winner, you know, like what? (laughs) I had a hell of a time trying to track that film down. It was, dude. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, and it's, uh, it's on, uh, what is it? YouTube? Yeah. Somebody (laughs) uploaded the entire film on YouTube and nobody's (laughs) discovered that yet. Yeah, I, I would suggest if you're like a big, big cinephile, try to like find it like online or something like on DVD and, and order it because <laughs> the, 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 I wish the YouTube version was a little bit better quality. Yeah, I ended up fi- uh, finding it on the mail. I'm in the mail through Netflix. And it yeah, was like I watched, I watched it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. And it looked really nice. Yeah, no, yeah, on YouTube it wasn't, it was, it was all right. I mean, it is 1940, so you're not expecting the greatest. Uh, quality but you know yeah well the great dictator uh has an imdb score of 8.4 and a rotten tomato score of 93 percent the critics consensus says charlie chaplin demonstrates that his comedic voice is undiminished by dialogue in this rousing satire of tyranny which may be more distinguished by its uplifting humanism than its gags I agree. This film is very much a celebration of humanity, and uh, that's not an accident. Chaplin, you know, made this film to point out the absurdity of the Nazis and how the best thing we can do as a people is work together, is be one race, the human race, work with each other, help each other. It's the only way, yeah. It's a message that we still have not fucking gotten 80 years later. Nothing's changed. And it's a damn shame. More people need to see this just for that final speech. Yeah. Well, I guess with that, we should go into the plot. Yes, indeed. Written and directed by old Charlie Chaplin. Yes, indeed. Starring his girlfriend at the time, Paulette Goddard, who yes. he treated pretty fucking terribly on the set of this movie. 
Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that seemed to be the case quite a bit of the time. Yeah, like you said, there's just certain, especially in the film industry, certain creators who just had to have absolute control and perfection all the time. Dude, on the set of City Lights, there's a... Oh, I've heard bad stories. (laughs) There's a, uh, a scene where the blind girl hands the tramp a flower. Yeah. He made her do that scene like... 150 times before they got it right it's not even that significant a scene it's fucking barbaric at times it's just to get in their head yeah get control yeah but let's talk about the great dictator (laughs) yes so we open during a battle in the last days of world war one we meet the protagonist an unnamed soldier later we find out this is the jewish barber he's not supposed to be the little tramp chaplain's trademark character but he does look and act exactly like him. So it's, yeah, on paper, no, but yeah, come on. (laughs) And he's fighting for his fictional nation of Tomania, which is an obvious stand-in for Germany. And uh, he's going through the trenches and having, you know, combat scenes. And he is loading this giant uh, gun, this big Bertha with giant shells. And he... (laughs) He has to go investigate one that misfired and it's like constantly pointing at him and it starts fizzling and he runs out of the way. It's, it's perfect chaplain. Like if there was no, you know, if it was silent, this would be one of his uh, shorts. He did do a short as a World War I soldier called Shoulder Arms. Yeah. Uh, that was great. He meets a fatigued pilot pleading for help and this is Commander Schultz. He, rec- he rescues the exhausted officer and they both board into his plane and fly off. Schultz reveals he's carrying important dispatches that could win them the war, but the plane <laughs> the plane flips over in the middle of the, in the uh, midair and Chaplin's trying to look at his watch and his watch is flying up. He's like, this is so strange. It's, it's, it's cute. <laughs> and they crash upside down. Amazingly, <laughs> they both survive. And uh, the barber suffers from memory loss and as the medics arrive, they tell him that the war is over and Tomania has lost. Years later, the barber is, has been in the hospital, so he doesn't know that a ruthless dictator named Adenoid Hinkle has taken over the nation, and his regime is very much Tomania first, make Tomania great again, and you know, kill, like, get rid of the Jews because they're the problem. Sound familiar? <laughs> A little bit. And... Uh, the opening of this film of like, introducing Hinkle may be my favorite Chaplin like scene of all time is <laughs> Chaplin plays Hinkle and he's just spouting in fake German at the, like at the crowd, just like with such fervor that it's, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, I just, <laughs> that, that, that bit and the bit with the, with the, with the ball, with the inflatable, the globe, globe, yeah. So good. God. <laughs> he really, he really, uh, you know, I, I adore, um, try to compare guys that have, like, used the physicality, you know, like, uh, like a Chris Farley who's just this big guy or like a Jim Carrey who uses his face. Charlie Chaplin did all of those things. All of them. He, he used every, every atom in his being to entertain. It's amazing. But he had to. Because he's, you know, the way he started out, there was no dialogue. So you had to, act out with everything else. Yes. And yeah. He brought that 
ferocity to talking films. And it just, exactly. it made him stand out even further, I think. Yes. He's so wild in this movie. And we meet his secretary of the interior and minister of propaganda named Garbage, and the minister of war named Herring. <laughs> and the symbol of Hinkle's fascist regime is the double cross. And he's known as the Fooey. So it's, it's, it's not very subtle, but it's funny as hell. Oh, not at all. Not at all. And I love whenever he gets like really angry, he's just like, <sighs> he's breathing in like so ferociously, like staring at the camera. <laughs> he's real, he does such a great job just showing this man's bucket insane. <laughs> <laughs> Make no mistake. This guy's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and the barber is unaware of this. He gets released from the hospital goes back to his barber shop in the Jewish ghetto and has no clue that everything has changed. And he sees the word Jew written on his, um, his barber shop window and he starts wiping it off. And one of the stormtroopers is like, what the hell do you think you're doing? And he's like, well, I'm just wiping it off my shop. And he's like, stop that. And he's like, get, get away from me, police. <laughs> he like hits the guy with a paintbrush. It's, <laughs> it's funny. And, uh, he flees from them, and uh, he's made him by his neighbor Hannah, who knocks out one of them, uh, one of the guards with a frying pan. And uh, he nearly gets lynched, but by all these soldiers, like it's pretty, gr- it's pretty uh, brutal. Like they throw a rope over a lamppost, and they're going to hang him in the middle of the middle of the uh, ghetto. And the commander of the area is Schultz, the officer he saved in the war. And Schultz recognizes him and is like, "Oh my god." you're alive and tells all of his soldiers don't hurt this man or any of his friends don't mess with him he's you know he saved my life and because of that the soldiers stay out of his way for a time it's good to have a man on the inside <laughs> and uh he says you know when when schultz realizes that the barber is you know jewish he's like i always thought you were an aryan <sighs> god Oh my God. So fucked. And uh, he says, one of my favorite bits is when he says, he tells the, the stormtroopers, don't mess with this man or any of his friends. And then Hannah throws something in one of the soldiers. And he's like, who was that? And the barber's like, oh, that's one of my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Meet timing. He was just, he was the best. <laughs> uh, so, Back to Hinkle, he relaxes his stance on the Jews in an attempt to get a Jewish financier to loan him money to finance his regime. You can't, you know, demonize the Jews and then go to a Jew for money. It's not how it works. No. And uh, Garbage is egging him on, telling him, you know, you could be dictator of the world. So Hinkle is now obsessed with taking over the whole world. And he has a moment where he dances with a inflatable globe he literally has the world in the palm of his hands it's a great scene <laughs> uh, yeah I, I yeah i really really like that i at that point of the film you're so so immersed in this this guy's brain and and that that part is like reminds me of you know it's as if he knows that like it's a, it's not just a metaphor for it's hitler with the you know the world in the palm of his hands but it's also like I'm Charlie Chaplin and I have you as the viewer in the palm of my hand. 
I've distracted you better than anyone can. <laughs> it, it really, it really is. Um, yeah, it's pretty mesmerizing filmmaking. Dude, at the time of the great dictator, Chaplin had been a superstar for almost 30 years. Like, uh, I, uh, like a, like a God. Yeah. Yeah. He was the most famous, like one of the most famous people on earth. So yeah, I can totally picture him thinking like, I am the God of Hollywood, Neil before yeah. me. Yeah. Well, I, 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 as of course, as, um, <laughs> as ridiculous as that is, or, or egotistical, I like it from a filmmaker because it looks when you have that kind of confidence, it comes through the screen. Yeah, um, I'm not having a conversation with the guy. I'm watching his movie, and <laughs> when that when that part happens, you, I, I just that's all I was thinking about was, yeah, you got me, man. Like you got me. I'm, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> do you? What scene do you think uh, got Charlie Chaplin the nomination? I mean, if you had to pick one, we'll, we'll get there. Ah, yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Hinkle plans to invade the neighboring country of Austerlich, supposed to be Austria. He needs the loan to finance the invasion. So when the Jewish financier refuses due to his persecution of the Jews, Hinkle takes this personally and decides to like crack down on the Jews even further. And, you know, garbage tells him this is probably isn't the best way, you know, way to do things, but Hinkle's like, I don't care. You know, I, I do what I want. And Schultz, who is empathetic because of his friend voices his objection to the program and Hinkle denounces him as a supporter of democracy and a traitor and has him placed in a concentration camp. Ugh. And the barber is now evading stormtroopers who have heard of his arrest, heard of the arrest by hiding on his neighbor's roof with Hannah, who he's started dating, but the barber's shop is burnt down because now the stormtroopers are after him specifically because they knew Schultz had been lenient because of him. Now it's personal. <sighs> and uh, it's just, yeah, it's sad. Schultz ends up escaping the uh, concentration camp and going to recruit the barber and all of his friends for an, a um, revolution. They're going to overthrow the Hinkle regime. And uh, Schultz proposes a suicide mission to blow up the palace and says the agent will be chosen by a coin in the pudding but hannah finds out about the plan and decides to screw with them to point out the absurdity of a suicide mission and she puts coins in every single pudding and this is a hilarious scene because like just the way everyone's so fucking dishonest about it because charlie immediately gets a a a coin and he's like oh god and he puts it in the other he 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 swallows the coin the person next to him puts the coin on charlie's plate he sees it again, swallows the coin again, and it just keeps going down the line until uh, <laughs> until Mr. Jekyll gets the coin and is like, oh, I have the coin. <laughs> and then the barber <laughs> sneezes and all the coins start coming out of his mouth. <laughs> and Schultz is like, what's going on here? And Hannah's like, I put coins in all the, all the pudding because you people are crazy. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So nobody goes through with the plan. And uh, later the the stormtroopers show up to search for Schultz. And uh, he and the barber who are hiding on the roof get captured and condemned to the camp. Yes. Hinkle is is going to invade Austerlich, but there are 
other tanks on the border of Austerlich, and that's Benzino Napolone, the dictator of bacteria. <laughs> and he's supposed to be the he's supposed to be Mussolini. And uh, he invites Napolone to go talk to him after he signs a declaration of war. And uh, he and Napolone kind of try to work this out, and it turns into a food fight. <laughs> it's it's funny. It's it's crazy when you think about what this is supposed to stand for, but uh, it's just impossible not to laugh. <laughs> and I love oh. it. Yeah, he uh, Hinkle wants like he won't sign the treaty because Napoleone's tanks are there, and Napoleone won't remove the tanks until Hinkle signs the treaty. And Garbage just tells Hinkle like, "Just sign it, and then we'll invade anyway." <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Just lie. Immediately, Hinkle's like, all right, I'll sign. <laughs> like, just immediate 180. <laughs> oh, great. And of course, yeah, he reneges on the deal and, and the invasion proceeds. He starts invading Austerlich. Hannah and the others in the ghetto who had gone fled to Austerlich are now, you know, under Hinkle's regime. They didn't get away. Schultz and the barber, who are in the concentration camp, escape wearing Tumanian uniforms. <laughs> and Border guards mistake the barber for Hinkle because they look pretty identical. <laughs> and uh, Hinkle is on a duck hunting trip. He falls overboard, gets mistaken for the barber, gets knocked out and arrested and sent to the camp. <laughs> Fuck you, Hinkle. <laughs> it's great. Goddamn Hinkle. <laughs> and the barber now is, he's Hinkle. Like, all the all the... Well, I guess they're not Nazis, but like, what do you, what do you call these people? Stormtroopers, I guess. Yeah. They, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we are and, not uh, talking about Star Wars. No, no, we're not. They, not <laughs> they see the barber, they think he's Hinkle, and he has to give a speech, a victory speech at the capital of Austerlich. And uh, Garbage, de- while introducing Hinkle, decries free speech and argues for the subjugation of the Jews. And the barber says the following it's a pretty uh incredible speech so here we go i'm sorry but i don't want to be an emperor that's not my business i don't want to rule or conquer anyone i should like to help everyone if possible jew gentile black man white we all want to help one another human beings are like that we want to live by each other's happiness not by each other's misery We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there is room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The airplane and the radio brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and little children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass, and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people, 
And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourself to brutes, men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the loved, unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery. Fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke, it is written that the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power, the power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then, in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason, a world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite. Hannah, can you hear me? Wherever you are, look up, Hannah. The clouds are lifting. The sun is breaking through. We are coming out of the darkness into the light. We are coming into a new world, a kindlier world, where men will rise above their hate, their greed, and brutality. Look up, Hannah. The soul of man has been given wings, and at last he is beginning to fly. He is flying into the rainbow, into the light of hope, into the future, a glorious future that belongs to you, to me, to all of us. Look up, Hannah. Look up. <sighs> yeah, he should have won Best Actor. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, that's that's the that's the best moment of the movie for me, and that's the best moment um, that I've seen Charlie Chaplin have. Um, yeah, uh, pretty speechless after that that moment. Yeah, it is just unbelievable, and he completely reverses Hinkle's policies, and everyone's cheering for liberty, and it's looking like you know there will be, you know, light tomorrow. The dawn will come, and Hannah looks off to the sky and sees that you know the light is creeping from behind the clouds and. There is hope. It's, it's beautiful. And it still resonates. The speech he made, people have been sharing that for decades now. And it's just, it's, it resonates no matter where you are, no matter what, you, what color you are, what religion you are, what race, like what uh, gender you are. It's just a, a beautiful message of hope for humanity. And oh, I wish more people would see... I mean, if you're not going to watch the whole movie, watch that speech. You can find it on YouTube, and it's just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, I agree. If you don't want to give the full two hours to, like, if, you know, it's not your thing, then, yeah, just watch the speech at least. It's, um, yeah, it's one of, one of the more important moments in, you know, um, especially of the, you know, 20th century for, for cinema, but has still, 80 years on, and that still is a message that needs to be heard. That's sad, um, but you know, uh, it's good to see that a creator like Charlie Chaplin was able to, to recognize that at the time. Uh, yeah. And we, we, we constantly, uh, Spike Lee has a really cool quote about, uh, we need directors and writers to interpretate how the world's moving for us. You know, um, wow. uh, not, not all of us can do this. Not all of us have the time to, to share those kinds of thoughts and emotions and pour that out onto uh, a, a movie screen. So for Charlie Chaplin to do that, when he doesn't need to do that, he could have done anything he wanted, right? He's Charlie Chaplin. Like he said, he, he was the king already. But for him to do that with his time and 
spend all uh, a whole year really making it. Um, uh, the amount of stuff they built for this movie, the little from the little models to just the practical things they had to do to save money, it is truly astonishing. It's one of those things that uh, there's a reason. <laughs> there's a reason we're talking about it right now on this podcast, and there's a reason uh, people call Chaplin, you know, the original king of comedy. Yeah, he is. He's the godfather of comedy. He's the man who, you know, fell over and, you know, got in fights and threw pies and just all this goofy shit that, you know, inspired so many filmmakers, so many comedians. And films like this are just, it's the perfect blend of comedy and drama where we get, you know, Hinkle is a bad guy. He's not, most of the time, he's not really played for laughs. He's played as a tyrant, as an evil man. And he's goofy at times, but what he's doing is horrifying. It's exactly what Hitler did. And I just, I like that he ended it by having the Jewish barber kind of become Hinkle to denounce this stuff, to denounce publicly that this is monstrous. And can you imagine if that had happened in real life? If like some Hitler lookalike ended up as Hitler and just said like, we should all help each other. This is horrifying. Don't, you know, open the camps. We should stop this. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, it certainly would have changed things. Right. And you, I, I would like to again, bring up Jojo rabbit from last year. Yeah. Um, a, a satire through and through Taika Waititi is one of the, one of the, you know, up and coming guys of that genre. And I think he's going to do way more than just satire he already has with Ragnarok. Um, the guy's a genius. And that movie is clearly taking so much inspiration from the great dictator. Yes. And, and of course, a lot of satire movies, but that movie specifically because it's about world war two, it's about Hitler. And there's stuff you, you've pointed out to me and we, we, we both really liked that movie. We got to see it in theaters together. Um, boy, that's weird saying that out loud. <laughs> Oh, oh, really sad, really depressing. But uh, yeah, we saw Jojo Rabbit and we, we were like, wow, this is, you know, remarkable stuff. And man, the, the impact that something can have, yeah, nearly 100 years on is, yeah, it's, uh, it's really important. Not a lot of movies can do that. And again, I want to bring up what I opened with, which is FDR, the president of the United States at the time, had a Jack Warner, the head of Warner Studios at the time, send Charlie Chaplin a letter, a handwritten letter that said, please make this movie. Oh, man, go do your own research if you're listening. <laughs> there's so much you can, uh, we only have so much time, but there's so much you can unravel and unpack with The Great Dictator, with Charlie Chaplin in general. Uh, I suggest you go do it if you're a cinephile like us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that... That about wraps it up for us on the. Great is this Dictator. is this a is this a ten for you? It's a nine. Uh, what 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 holds it back? Honestly, the Napoloni stuff. That's fair. That's I fair. Just, yeah, I don't think it worked in Italy when this film was released in Italy in the forties. All that stuff was taken out. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Oh, I mean, I mean, we we could talk for an hour about um, every country had a different set of rules for when this movie was coming out, right? Oh, yeah. It just, it just shattered people. It, uh, <laughs> uh, you got to think even, you know, the Oscars were only around for 13 years, right? Yeah. <laughs> Before, people, people just weren't used to this kind of stuff, just right in your grill 
telling yeah. you telling you what you don't really want to hear because it's uncomfortable. Well, and also, you know, obviously, you know, this was banned in Germany. I think that goes without saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hitler watched it twice and nobody knows what he said. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I wish, I, I wish we knew. I really wish we knew what he thought. I mean, he watched it Me twice. Too. Maybe he liked it. Yeah. Why would he watch it twice? Why would you put yourself through four hours of being made fun of? <laughs> oh, I don't know. He's but, like, oh, uh, he got the mu- he he got the mustache wrong. Like, oh, fuck off. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic movie. Uh, yeah, I would like to see the Italian cut of this film just to see, like, if you take the Napoloni stuff out. I just don't think it's that funny. I think it kind of slows the film down a bit. But everything else in this is just flawless. Yeah, yeah, I give I give it an eight. Uh, it's my first time watching it. I think if I see it again, maybe it'll rise. Um, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we're going to be tackling all kinds of films here, and um, this won't be the first old movie we do, like we talked about earlier. Uh, it's it's a blast to be the age we are and have the capability of going back and watching this stuff. It's just, to me, it's always going to be a treat. I don't treat it like it's something. I don't, I don't take it for granted. I don't, uh, stuff like the Criterion, HBO Max, and Netflix through the mail, all these things that we have to to watch all this stuff. I don't take it for granted. I don't take it lightly. I'm very grateful for the movie experience we get to have, even if the theater is not open right now. Well said. Yeah, we have a lot of avenues, a lot of different options. And, uh, yeah, there, there's no room to complain as a movie fan right now. Um, you, uh, we all want the theater back. We all do. There's people who don't even love movies who want the theater back so they can go see the big blockbusters and have a good time and go get some food. You know, it's not just for us. It's for everybody but there is no room for me as a movie fan to complain with the amount of shit we have to watch. Yeah. Now, now, now in 1940, <laughs> you would have a reason to complain if the theaters were closed. Yeah. There's not a lot of, a uh, lot of options. What do you do? <laughs> yeah. What the hell do you do? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have a, you don't have a VCR. Like you, you got maybe, yeah. I don't even think, yeah, this was the forties. Television wasn't even there yet. This is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, the best thing we can say right now, uh, support your local drive-in. Yeah. Uh, there's a few around here. We are definitely going to be pursuing that further and, uh, yeah, just, you know, stay safe and watch old, watch old movies. Yeah. Please stay inside. I'm seeing too many, um, too many young people are just kind of neglecting, um, simple, simple guidelines. Um, just, just stay inside if you can. You know, if you go to work, of course, you know, do what you got to do. But, man, if you have a day off, yeah, just stay inside. Catch up on some, some reading or some TV shows or some movies or just talk to your, your friend. Call a friend or call your mom. I don't know. Like, you know, don't go hang out with people. <laughs> I, I couldn't say that enough. Here in Texas, we're seeing the numbers rise far too much. And it's, it gets frustrating for the people who are staying inside, like you and I, who are trying to keep it to a minimum of how many people we're in contact with. It's frustrating, man. Yeah. No restaurant is worth your life. No restaurant is worth your family's life. Hell no. Get that shit to go. <laughs> yes. For Christ's sake. It's ridiculous. And it's not going to get better until people start listening to this shit. Yeah. I, yeah. One of my, you know, I, I, I wear this, you know, you can't see us right now, but I wear this sweatshirt all the time. Chelsea football club from London. They're, they're, they're starting to get back on track with things. They they have their sports back. They have some of their entertainment back because they have followed the rules when they were supposed to. Yeah. Uh, 
it's frustrating to watch these European countries just fucking be miles ahead of us in this 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 particular social um, obstacle. You know, uh, it's very frustrating. Well, the second it became a fucking political choice, I, I, I knew we were doomed. Like, uh, yes, I know. I I was like trying to be so quiet about it. Like, oh, this is gonna turn into like a, oh, I'm tough because I don't wear a mask, and, and it's like you're weak because you wear one. Oh, really? Can we can we please not? But take also, sides all this stuff? like you know, oh, it's made up by the Democrats, so it's a Chinese you know propaganda. <laughs> just shut the fuck up! Like, oh my god, I can't stand this. I just can't. I know. It's not like there's no more party line for me anymore. There's no oh you like you know you happen to be a Republican. Oh, I guess I'll just you know agree to disagree. That shit is over. It's it's good versus evil now, and I'm yeah. <laughs> If you're a Republican and you're listening to our podcast, get the fuck out of here and never come. <laughs> I'm done with you people. I can't take this anymore. I'm Peter Finch in Network. I am mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Fuck off. What do you want? You Ugh. pig fuck. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm with you. I, I, I am with you. I um, Well, I think people know. Um, when we talked about... Um, uh, Pulp Fiction and Five Bloods. Really, every episode, we 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 we're both people who wear our heart on our sleeve. We're not going to hide from how we feel about movies and um, and and things that surround it. And politics certainly surround movies, right? Um, and this is not going to be a political show, but uh, if we have some time here at the end, especially with something like Charlie Chaplin, it's going to come up. Yeah, if we uh, yeah, have a we, very politically charged film, I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, which 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 is a great way to to, to segue into next week's film <laughs> which is another uh po- political film <laughs> yes yes indeed. we are we're, we're going to be going from the 40s and we're going to get in a time machine and go to the 60s for stanley kubrick's dr strangelove or how he learned to stop worrying and love the bomb <laughs> <laughs> we're going oh, man. back-to-back political satire on oscar sunday and it is going to be glorious yes Dr. Strangelove, very, very excited. Kubrick's masterpiece. I, I adore yeah. this movie. It's funny as hell. It's infuriating. It's beautiful. And it's just, it's a lovely, it's going to be a lovely time. Yeah. I, this is one that I, I, I've been making a massive, uh, we both have, uh, we started one at uh, top 100 movies of all time. Right. Yeah. And Dr. Strangelove is one that I'm like, I know it's there. I just got to see it again. Cause I've only seen it once. Really? Wow. Oh, no, I love it. I love it. I remember it well, but I kind of think I need that extra push. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. the, the second viewing of Kubrick is, I believe, the most important viewing. Interesting. Yeah, I've, I've, I've thought that for pretty much all of it. I think Shining, you know, Clockwork Orange, those big ones that I love, I, I, I've always felt that way. That's interesting because I hated the Clockwork Orange the first time I saw it, and the second time I saw it, I was like, this yes, good. Oh, yeah, Clockwork Orange, if you're not ready. If you're not ready. Yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe it's time to watch 2001 again because I've only seen that once and I was not a fan. Yeah, I, I know that's one we'll, we'll have to talk about eventually. And I know, yeah, we're going to differ on that because I do, I really like that one. It's not like top five Kubrick or anything, but I do like it a lot. Well, you never know. I mean, I thought I hated the Blair Witch till we did that on the Film Hasn't podcast. And I was like, yeah, man. Good. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah, you, you really don't. And, um, you know, obviously, our filmgasm episode, uh, our podcast, sorry, is is moving along, and we got a killer lineup of random ass movies coming up on that. <laughs> so if you you want to check those out, go ahead. And thank you for listening to this one. You know, this is our fifth one. 
yeah. we're, we're, we're having a hell of a time and it's gonna, the roller coaster is going to keep moving. Yeah. I never thought that, you know, a pandemic would give us time to start a completely new show. <laughs> yeah. Are. Yeah. This really is the theme of 2020 for for filmgasm uh, as a website and, uh, for you and I is we're just digging deeper and deeper into film. And we figured why, why not um, have a film or a podcast that kind of represents the more prestigious films of, uh, you know, the Oscars and whatnot. So it's, it's, it's great fun. We're covering both sides of the coin here. We got, you know, the cult underground horror goofy shit. And then we got the, you know, the pretentious prestigious Oscar shit. So hell yeah. Cause that's what we are. We love it all. Yes. Oh yeah. I, I'll always feel that way. I don't see that changing. I just uh, eat it up, baby. It's awesome. Yes, indeed. And before we go, let's talk about what happened this week in film. Yes. So there were two trailers that debuted. Uh, the first one was Respect, biopic of Aretha Franklin starring Jennifer Hudson, set for release in uh, December. And uh, I think it looks fucking great. <laughs> oh, I absolutely adore Jennifer Hudson. She should have won American Idol when she was on it. She's great. She's uh, an underrated actress at this point. Yeah, I'm, that's going to be awesome. I, have, I smell a second Oscar. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I want, I, mean, I, want to see, oh, I want to see her and Delroy Lindo walk the stage. Oh, oh, yes. But, I mean, could they have cast Aretha Franklin better? Jesus Christ. Jennifer Hudson's got the pipes to pull that off. Like, I this know. This is going to be good. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And the other trailer is David Ayer's new movie, The Tax Collector, starring Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> looks, looks absolutely absurd, but I can't wait. I do not buy Shia LaBeouf as an enforcer. He is. No, neither do I. I just, no, he's not intimidating to me, but maybe I'm not seeing the right movies. So David Ayer, I have confidence in because of what he was able to pull off with end of watch specifically. Um, I, I, I didn't think that Gyllenhaal and Pena could do what they did in that movie. Uh, When I saw the trailer, I was like, Hmm, this either, they're either going to pull this off or it's not going to be good at all. (laughs) <laughs> and I think End of Watch, we, we, we've talked about End of Watch before um, on one of our episodes uh, on Filmgasm. We, we both really like it. Yeah. And I think I, I, the trailer is pretty, pretty wild and pretty out there. And Shia, it looks like he's really going for it. And it, it could be a hit or a miss. And I, I, I'm a huge fan of his, seeing everything he's done. Um, I think what he did last year is truly, truly remarkable for a modern actor to be in. Uh, peanut butter falcon uh and give one to me one of the better performances of the year in that movie and then to write and star as his own father in honey boy i thought that was really really special and so i'm gonna see anything he does but i'm not as excited for the tax collector as i was those does that make sense yeah that makes perfect sense yeah yeah uh I did not see the Peanut Butter Falcon or Honey Boy, so I Peanut Butter Falcon is on Prime right now. So uh, if you ever have time, you'll oh yeah, you'll love that. That movie's just really good. Wasn't Honey Boy an Amazon production too? Yeah, they're both on right now. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. I'll, maybe I'll yeah, I'll fast track that stuff. Well, yeah, maybe you could have a uh, old Shia day. <laughs> a Shia-thon. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> yeah, Shia Thon. Look out! That's gonna be that's a that'll be that'd be a long day. <laughs> Uh, next up, this was just weird. Uh, Jason Momoa is in talks to play Frosty the Snowman in a uh, Frosty cartoon that they're working on. <laughs> okay, sure, why not? Uh, I just, I, he's one of the guys that I, 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 when I first saw him in Game of Thrones, I was like, all right, 
this guy, hopefully, it's not what's happened, but I was hoping he would just play a bunch of badass villains. Uh, it, just, it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. And I like Aquaman. I like it. But, yeah. but this kind of a decision in this, in this time of your career, when you are like literally the most monstrous man in Hollywood, come on, dude. Come on. Frosty. Yeah. Why the hell he, has he Frosty. not been picked to play fucking Bane? Yeah, yeah, I think Bane, if, if Joker can get that quick of a turnaround, then Bane deserves a quick turnaround because I think Tom Hardy was good but not great. Oof, agreed. Yeah, well, yeah, we, we've never <laughs> been able to really talk about Dark Knight Rises. I've just, I'm just not a huge fan of that one. But yeah, I think it's okay. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. We do not have time for that today. But we, Bat- yeah. Batman Begins is definitely superior to the other two. <laughs> God damn. Okay. <laughs> a lot of bombshells being dropped tonight. I, I, I have to, you know, as we're about to leave. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, next two are downers, regrettably. Um, Earl Cameron, one of the trailblazers of black actors in British cinema, has died at 102 years old. Oof. He hung in there. And, uh, yeah, I was, I was not familiar with this guy until I saw him in the news. And I was looking him up, and he, damn, I mean, he was in the business for a very long time. Decades. Yeah, he acted like he was still in stuff up till 2013. He had a, a brief appearance in Inception. And he just has been in the business since uh, the 50s. And uh, yeah, he will be missed. Yeah. Character actor. And then finally, the, uh, the big news of this week, uh, comedy legend Carl Reiner has died at 98 years old of natural causes. Father of director Rob Reiner. Yes. And uh, yeah, Carl Reiner. Yeah, comedic legend. Nine-time Emmy Award winner. And uh, yeah, Ocean's Eleven is what I always go to. Carl Reiner. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. We're both, yeah, on the same page there. (laughs) But he created the Dick Van Dyke show, which was his big thing. And um, yeah, he was just, you know, fucking legend. So R.I.P., Uh, yeah, good episode. I think very good one. Yeah, yeah. I, I hope I hope people feel uh, encouraged to to check out some older stuff. Uh, and you know we're we're going twenty years past a um, great dictator with uh, next week's subject. But my God, there's just um so much cool shit to go back and watch right from any decade. I just can't say that enough. Yeah, film has you know constantly been evolving and. We love going back to see, you know, where it used to be. Yeah, there's no, 100%. There's no such thing as a bad decade of film. And uh, you can check uh, Oscar Sunday out next week with Dr. Strangelove. And uh, this week on the Filmgasm podcast, we're doing the 2014 found footage horror film As Above, So Below, uh, yeah. which I believe you watched recently. How was it? It's on Netflix. I started watching it tonight before we started recording i'm not all the way through it yet um i saw this one in theaters and i just don't remember it too hot um 2014 was when i really started to be like addicted to the theater uh when i was like driving myself there you know what i mean i started making those decisions myself i'm gonna spend all my own money on going to see movies (laughs) and that's when you know birdman and whiplash came out but uh i remember seeing it i remember the whole experience i saw it at northwoods but i just don't recall a lot of the plot so that's not a good sign. But on this podcast, famously, we've had situations where we rewatch something 
like you said with um what was it that we just talked Blair about Witch. Uh, Blair, Blair Witch yeah uh you have a change of heart so I'm, I'm still gonna be open-minded the only thing I know about this movie is that I was gonna see it and then my mom went and saw it with some friends on a work trip called me and said it was complete shit so I didn't see it yeah well no it it's got it's got it's um yeah pretty pretty bad reviews yeah <laughs> so we will see on filmgasm next week oscar sunday dr strangelove don't miss it thank you for listening and we will see you next sunday peace